0: Good morning Midland Free. Welcome here. We're delighted you're here to worship with us. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. I want to pray for us as we continue to worship our God this morning. Father, so thankful to see the smiling faces as the children remind us of the life that you bring and that the one true God is you, that there is no other God. There is only one God. And we praise you and thank you for that. And we pray that we would Uh, honor you this morning as we proclaim that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, was it a good decision or a bad one? How many of you have ever laid on your pillow late at night and heard that question run through your mind? Was it a good decision or was it? a bad one. Well, how can we know? I suppose in the most simple sense, the way in which we process this answer is through the lens or grid that looks something like this. A decision that is a good one, here's a slide says that there was a benefit which exceeded the cost or what we gain w- was greater than that which we lost. A bad decision, on the other hand, is one in which we lose more than we gain. Now, this may sound fiscal or monetary or business or corporate, but the reality is we're making these decisions in every area of our life. For example, it's pretty easy to measure if it's a monetary decision if you came out better on one end than the other, but it's also the case that we process our decisions like this from a relational perspective as well. Is this relationship one in which more is gained or more is lost? Is this project one in which more is gained or more is lost? Is If you're a child and you're asking this question, you're like, I'm making a baseball card trade. And I'm asking, did I had to trade two of these cards for one of this card, but this one that I've... I obtained is more than the two that I lost. What is it? Is it a good decision or is it a bad one? I imagine Ruth laying on her pillow was asking herself the same question. Was my decision to stick with Naomi a good one or was it a bad one? You see, up until this point, Ruth doesn't really know She doesn't know the end of her story. We know the end of her story, and we look at it, and it's easy for us to tell. But her story in chapter 4 has not ended yet. And so more than likely, she's in this position of suspense, asking herself the question, was my decision a good one or a bad one? Will it pay off? And so today what I'd like to do in Ruth chapter 4 is walk you through that grid from Ruth's perspective and then from our perspective. And simply the question we'll ask for Ruth and the question we'll ask for ourselves is this. um, Does it pay off? Faithfulness in particular, Ruth's decision and our decisions as well. Ruth makes a decision to follow someone. We also must make a decision to follow someone. And then when we do so, we ask the question, does it pay off? And for Ruth, the way we can look at it is basically we can look at for her as an individual. Does it pay off for Ruth? And then we can look at it and say, does it pay off for her family? Her immediate family, does it benefit them? And then we can look even more broadly and say, does it pay off for those people around Ruth and Naomi as well? And guess what? Same is true for us. You can see on the slide. The same decision-making process, we can evaluate our own decisions and say, hey, was this decision a good one for me? Because really, honestly, that's what a lot of us are asking, did this benefit me? And then after that, does it benefit my family and even further, those people who are around me? So those are the questions we'll ask today as we look at the fourth chapter beginning in verse 9 of the book of Ruth. We'll ask it for Ruth, because the beauty of it is we have her full story, and then we'll see how it applies to our stories as well. So Ruth chapter four, beginning in verse nine, it says this, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilean and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought bought to be my wife. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And then the narrator fills in, he says, so, or in other words, in accordance with his promise, as he said he would, Boaz, fulfilling his duty, took Ruth and became his wife. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women pick up, and it says, The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. In verse 16, it says, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And then the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they, that is the women, named the child Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. There's your big connection. That's the reason for the genealogy. But let me show you a little chart here. I'm going to read the scripture text to you. And you can look at this. Um, It's obviously too small for you to see the names. But with each name, you're just going to follow them down all the way to the point of Boaz. And then to the left of Boaz is that family, Elimelech and Naomi, and then Chilion and Malin, And then Orpah goes one way, and Ruth goes the other. And as a result, she's integrated into this new Family tree. So these are the names. These are the generations of Perez, number one. Then Perez fathered Hezron. Then Hezron fathered Ram. Then Ram fathered Aminadab. Then Aminadab fathered Nashon. You can go ahead and keep that slide up there while I read this. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered the last one, David. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So does it pay off? Does faithfulness pay off? Well, why are you saying faithfulness, Pastor Jeremy? Well, the reason is this, is because at the beginning of this book, if you weren't here for the start of this series, Ruth made a decision. She made a big decision. She decided after the death of her husband, rather than going back to her homeland, instead, she would follow Naomi back to her hum- homeland, which would be familiar to Naomi, but completely unfamiliar to Ruth. So Ruth goes to a place she doesn't know to be with a people she doesn't know to a foreign God and completely converts or steps over from being in Moab and worshiping Chemosh to being in um, the land of Israel and worshiping Yahweh. She makes this big decision and she's risking her life because her only hope for Um, survival is that there will be a redeemer, there will be a kinsman, there will be someone from Naomi's family who will see their plight and accept them back in and make a provision for her. If that doesn't happen, more than likely she can starve to death or become a destitute widow having to use other means that are completely inhospitable in order to survive. This is her plight. So she makes this decision. She goes with Naomi. And the question is, does it pay off for Ruth? Well, look at this slide and watch i think I think what you should see is sort of the the full circle or the progression of this story as we read these verses, you heard the women of the town blessing um, Naomi and Ruth and if you recall at the very beginning of the story, the women were doing the exact opposite when. They came back, the women were like, oh, who is this? Oh, yuck, a Moabite, blah, 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 blah. And so what you see is, and what you can basically do, is take chapter 1 and chapter 4, and if you set them right next to each other, go ahead and show that slide, Melissa. I'll show them what I'm talking about. You can get direct parallels to nearly everything. So in chapter 1, there's cursing. In chapter 4, there's blessing. In chapter 1, there is a widow. In chapter 4, there is a beloved wife. In chapter 1, there is the person who is childless. In chapter 4, all of a sudden, someone is childbearing. In chapter 1, they are completely destitute. In chapter 4, all of a sudden, they're well-to-do. Everything is changing and everything is coming back around. And the point of all these inclusios. Even in the original language, the author uses some very specific words to show you when they thought they were empty, actually they are moving towards full. When they are thought they had nothing, all of a sudden they are moving towards complete and total redemption. This is really what um, I would call, what many would call, the original Cinderella story. This is a true rags to riches about someone who is faithful, someone who is a servant, and someone who is blessed for doing what God had called them to do. Now, here's a slide of that Cinderella story, and I mentioned that there are several words throughout this book. You can go to my teaching seminars and see more, but here's just a quick snippet of that. What happens in chapter 1 is Ruth is called a foreigner, and then in chapter Chapter 2, she's the lowest servant. This would be like a slave. And then in chapter 3, she's a maid servant working for Boaz. And then in chapter 4, she is ultimately the woman of the house, the princess now made queen. Here is the royal Ruth. And in fact, she is incorporated into the royal line because remember, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Ruth is now included in the messianic line. There is a Moabite widow in the line of Christ, showing us that God is a God of all peoples everywhere, no matter what, not limited to an individual specific ethnicity or nationality. So this is truly Ruth. The book of Ruth is the original Cinderella. In fact, there's even a slipper. Do you remember? Yeah, a sandal. Close enough. It's not glass. But there is an exchange of a slipper early on where one person takes off the slipper and gives it to another. And this is the right or deed of property, the transfer from one house to another. And as a result, she is redeemed because Boaz now has the slipper. This is, in fact, the original Cinderella story. And so what you see, I hope, we'll go back to that slide once more, because I just want to pound it in. Our decision, in in her decision, Ruth's decision to follow Naomi, she goes from being cursed to blessed, from widow to wife, from childless to childbearing to destitute and well-to-do. That's what happens to Ruth, who is faithful and decides to follow Naomi. Now, What happens to us if we are in one stage of life and we are not following Jesus and then we make a decision and we say, you know what, I'm going to change. I'm going to move from where I was to where the Bible tells me I should be. I'm going to decide to leave all that other stuff behind and follow after Christ. What will happen to us? Well, the same thing. If you look at what the New Testament describes us as, here's what happens when we decide to follow Christ. Our decision to follow Christ moves us from being, just like Ruth, cursed to blessed. It it transfers us from being underneath the curse of sin to being underneath the blessing of God. From being guilty to forgiven, from being slaves to free, we move from being cursed to being blessed, just like Ruth. So too, from widow to wife, originally we were unloved, we were under the wrath of God, but now we are called the bride of Christ. We have moved into the royal messianic line. We are now associated with Jesus and looking forward to his banqueting table in which his banner that covers us is called love. Love. Spread the wing of your garment over me, Ruth says. Now we have become wed to Christ. We were spiritually dead. We were childless, if you will. We were unproductive. But now, as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bear fruit. We can make disciples. We can see converts. We can see the fruit of the Spirit appear and crop up in our lives. And we become very productive. Where we were destitute and had nothing, all of a sudden, now we are well-to-do. We are the richest people in the entire world. Everything we have can be taken away from us, and yet we still gain eternity and glory. We have more to be gained than can ever be lost. I think that makes it a good decision. What is a good decision? It is when you gain more than what you lose. A bad decision, you lose more than what you gain, but the Bible explicitly affirms that we will gain way more than we will ever lose. Why would anyone try to gain all the riches of this world and lose their soul? That's not a good decision. Then you lose more than you gain. But if you give up everything and gain Christ, then you gain way more than you ever lose. What's a good decision? Well, for Ruth, this is a good decision. Follow Naomi and commit to Yahweh. What's a good decision? For us, it is to follow Christ and commit to Jesus. You gain way more than you ever lose. Does it pay off? Well, big time for us as individuals. That's clear. I hope I made that clear. But what about our families? Well, first, let's look at Ruth again. What happens? Well, for Naomi, she's redeemed. Naomi is redeemed. We always think of this book as, oh, cool. Ruth has been redeemed. But do you understand that Naomi, the widow, is being redeemed as well? She would be even in a worse state than Ruth. But what happens then is when the women say to Naomi in verse 14, if we can jump to that slide. Verse 14, it says, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name, the name of your redeemer, be renowned in Israel. Verse 15, he shall be to you, Naomi, a restorer of life. This is the grandparent second wind. There is a child that 's been born to her daughter in law all of a sudden, her life is happy now, and not only that, but he 's going to provide for her he will be a nourisher of her old age and this daughter in law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. You know what 's happening here? The women are bringing things full circle at the beginning of this story. We sort of saw it through the lens of the t- of the the local women they they saw. Naomi coming back and they're like, ooh, who is that? What happened to her? And then at the end, they see this transformation and they see how much she's changed and how much she's been through and how blessed she is. And now they're looking at the other side of the coin and saying, wow, look at that. Can you believe it? There's Naomi. Look what happened. She went from empty to full. She went from childless to blessed. She now has a redeemer. God has not left her. Do you hear that, church? The Lord has not left you. When you decide to follow Christ, you may have to leave a lot of other things, but the Lord will never leave you. The Lord has not left you, Naomi, without a Redeemer. The Lord has not left you, church, without a Redeemer. Regardless of what you've left behind, when you choose to follow Christ, he will not leave you. So does it pay off? Absolutely. It pays off for Ruth, but it also pays off for Ruth's family. Her mother-in-law is redeemed. Her mother-in-law is restored. Her mother-in-law is given rest. At the beginning of the book, Naomi says, go ahead, you you all return home, may you find rest in the... Um, House of another. But what happens? Ruth stays with her. And as a result, Naomi finds rest. Naomi wished rest upon Ruth. But Ruth's decision, in turn, creates rest for Naomi. Does it pay off for Ruth's family? Absolutely. Naomi is in a way, way better spot. Will faithfulness pay off for our families? There's a big one, isn't it? I mean... I'm sure there are a lot of stories out here. There's a lot of stories that can be told, right? Does faithfulness pay off? I don't know. I got cancer. Well, I don't know. My spouse left me. Well, I don't know. My kids have gone crazy. Does faithfulness pay off? I don't know. Listen, faithfulness does pay off no matter what. Why? Because God is good and God is in control and Jesus wins. So even if you don't see it in your life right now, it will pay off. Look at this story. Does Ruth know who David is? No. Does Ruth know who Jesse is? No. Does Ruth know who Jesus is? No. She has no idea how her decision is going to pay off in the future. She has no knowledge of that whatsoever. But because of her faithfulness in this moment, you see that long chain of names that you kind of blitz through the, you know, family tree. But then what you realize is that over this huge period of time, this one little decision way back when brings salvation to the world. What about your faithfulness now? You don't know. You can't say neither can I. We can't say that faithfulness failed just because we don't see it in our generation. That's not this story. That's not why there are genealogies in the Bible. The genealogies in the Bible show us that faithfulness goes way beyond us. It's In fact, God moving it down throughout the generations. We make these little decisions, but it's really God who's carrying it out. In fact, it has very little to do with us. It's based on his faithfulness and not ours. And so, does it pay off for our families? Absolutely, yes. Does faithfulness pay off? Yes. Are you guaranteed to see it now? No. Are we guaranteed to see it now? No. But does it pay off? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are some pretty messed up family trees in this book. If you read through those names again, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're probably laughing. If you're not, you you will be shocked when you read about Tamar and Judah, the incest that happened in that relationship. If you read about how Rachel and Leah built up the house of Israel fighting for sex with their husband, it was not a pretty picture. These are messed up families. And that should give us hope, and that should give us encouragement that no matter how messed up things get, God can still create a beautiful picture. Does faithfulness pay off? Absolutely. Do we get to see it now? No promises. But will we get to see it? Absolutely. You have God's word. God is faithful. He will reward your family. So what does that mean for our families then? Here's here's a slide, and you can write these down, or you can... Download them later. You can have these. We're happy to share. Number one, if God is faithful and faithfulness pays off, then don't give up. Don't give up. Do not give up on your family. I know it's tempting. I know there might be good reason to. Like, they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep your promises. This is particular to spouses. Look, you made a vow. For better, for worse. Which one is it right now? Might be worse. Might be better. I don't know. But either way, keep your promise. Keep your promise. Number three, take care of the day-to-day. And you know what? It's what we have to do. It's the grind. It's the stuff. But we have to do it. You know, you have to go to work, you have to do the dishes, you have to clean your laundry, you have to fix the pipes, whatever, it's just part of life. But that's what Ruth does. You know, she goes out and she gathers. But in her gathering, in her simplicity, in the little daily tasks that she does faithfully every day, that's where God meets her. He meets her on Boaz on the threshing floor. It's in the daily, mundane, everyday faithfulness that all of a sudden God shows up. So we got to be faithful. We think every day is a revival or a spirit-filled moment. No. Some days it's just doing the laundry. Changing the diapers. Going to work. Coming home and getting up and do it again. Over this long process that we go through each and every year, the seasons change. So too the book of Ruth. That's where God shows up. So keep doing the day to day and you wait and you wait for God until he provides for you in unexpected ways. He meets you in the moment and you are surprised. Wow, it just so happened that this field at this time, on this day, at this place happens to be our kinsman redeemer. What do you know? It just so happened that the other kinsman redeemer happened to be walking through the gate at the exact same time we were. What do you know? You wait. And then watch God work. And then when the moment arrives. Next slide, please. You have to be ready. When the moment arrives, you go for it. You jump. You pounce. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is like a lion in the grass. It's sitting there, but it's not asleep. It is ready to pounce. It's waiting. It's waiting for the moment. And when you wait by faith, that's what it means to wait. You sit there and you wait until God provides that moment, and then you pounce. And you take a God-glorifying risk. Now, I put God-glorifying because there's a lot of different risks out there. There's stupid risk, and there's God-glorifying risk. I'm not talking about stupid stuff like, Oh, I decided to spend my retirement on lottery tickets because maybe that'll pay off. <laughs> you know, you have a chance, You have better chance of getting struck by lightning twice than winning the lottery so if anyone in here has been struck by lightning twice let me know i want to go to the quick stop with you afterwards but other than that make a god glorifying risk here look god glorifying means that this is something you've been praying about this is something you'll be thinking about you don't have all the answers right now but you believe that if you do this it will bring him glory that's different than a lottery ticket. It may actually cost you money. But that's a God-glorifying risk. And then once you do, you trust him for the unknown. Say, okay. I don't know how this is going to go, but I went for it, Lord. Let's see. What do you got? And that's called a God-glorifying risk. So does it pay off? Yeah, it pays off for us. It pays off for Ruth. Does it pay off for our family? Yes, it will. Eventually, guaranteed, look at the family trees. It pays off. And so we know it pays off for us. We know it pays off for our families. What about those around us? Does it pay off? Well, in the story of Ruth, it clearly pays off. The whole community is blessed. Everybody is celebrating. And if you, like I said, if you follow the family tree, it pays off for the entire nation of Israel. Through this family, the Davidic king comes and delivers the people from their oppressors. And so too with us as Christians. Look, it will pay off not only for us, not only for our families, but for the entire world. Because Jesus wins. And as long as we are following and pursuing that and proclaiming that, it pays off not only for us as individuals, not only for us as a family, not only for us as a church, but for the entire world. The king comes back and delivers us from the hand of our oppressors and sets up his just and righteous rule, then all is well in the land. And that works for everybody. Ruth gets redemption, we get redemption. Naomi gets redemption, we get redemption. The family, the culture, the community is all restored. Ours too, through Christ. Everything is the same, chapter 1 and chapter 4. it's so neat and tight in this little book because it's only four chapters, but it's not as clear to us in our lives. What chapter are you in? Chapter one. Tragedy. Chapter two. Basic next steps. Chapter three. Opportunity. Chapter four. Fulfillment. What chapter are you in? I don't know. In fact, you may be in multiple chapters. One area of your life may be in chapter 1, another in chapter 2 or chapter 3. Depending on how much stuff you got going, you could be all over the place. But the reality is this. In this book, we can say chapter 1 leads to chapter 4. And in your life, in God's plan, in his perfect timing, chapter 1 leads to chapter 4. Do you understand that? Chapter 1 leads to chapter 4. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your nation, your country, your gender, or anything else. God chose that for you. And what's been chosen for you will lead to what is best for you. You're blessed. Are we full or are we empty? Are we bitter? Or are we believing in Yahweh? This is such a beautiful, beautiful picture, a story that tells us simply this, that it will be worth it. It pays off. Faithfulness pays off. Faithfulness is a good decision. Following Christ pays off in the end. I have a story that I'd like to illustrate that with this morning as we get ready to wrap up. and uh, The story is, by the good Dr. Seuss and entitled, Horton Hatches an Egg. You know, Does anybody know this one? If you don't, you should. If you have children, read it to them. If you don't, wait for your grandchildren, buy it, and put it on the shelf. This is a good one. If not, buy it and go back and serve in our nursery. This is Horton Hatches the Egg, and it's actually kind of long, so I won't I won't read the whole story to you, but essentially what happens is this. There's this bird, and it's kind of a lazy bird, and the bird has an egg, but she doesn't really want to sit there on her egg. And so what she does is she convinces Horton, this elephant, to take over for a little while. And She tells him she'll be back in a little bit. Well, inevitably, her promise falls through. Horton agrees. He sets up some strange system with Sticks supporting the tree so that this giant elephant can sit on the egg. And he sits on this egg. And at first, you can see he's smiling and happy. He is sitting on his egg and doing great. But then, as time goes on, all of a sudden, there's a thunderstorm. Not so great. Meanwhile, while it's storming, the bird has it made in the shade. Maisie is off down in Cancun or whatever, enjoying her life, while Horton is in Michigan. (laughs) Sitting on his egg. Eventually, some of the other jungle creatures come around. And boy, they find it so funny. This elephant sitting on an egg in a tree. And they're making fun of him. So he's been through the hot. He's been through the cold. He's been through the rain. He's been through the storm. He's getting everybody making fun of him. And having a grand old time at his expense. But Horton is not giving up. He's still sitting on that egg. And lo and behold, of course, some hunters come along. (laughs) And there's Horton. Horton ready to give his life to fulfill his promise. But they think it'd be better to take him to the circus because, you know, an elephant sitting on an egg, you don't see that every day. So they take him away on a far, far journey. He goes out in the ocean, and he is sicker than a dog. He gets back to the big city. He's put under the big tent. And all of a sudden, one day, when it's down south, guess who comes back? that pesky little bird who wouldn't sit on her own egg. When she gets there and she sees him sitting on her egg, she is upset and says, that's my egg. And I'll read it from here because his words are better than mine. She said, she screams, it's mine, screamed the bird. When she heard the egg crack, the work was all done. Now she wanted it back. It's my egg. She sputtered. You stole it from me. Get off my nest and get out of my tree. Oh, poor Horton with a sad, heavy heart. But at the very instant, the egg burst apart and out of the pieces of red and white shell from the egg that he'd sat on so long and so well, Horton, the elephant, saw something a whiz. It had ears and a tail and a trunk just like his. And the people came shouting, what's all this about? They looked and they stared with their eyes popping out. Then they cheered and they cheered and they cheered and more and more. They'd never seen anything like this before. My goodness, my gracious, they shouted my word. It's something brand new. It's an elephant bird. And it could be, it should be, it should be like that because Horton was faithful. He sat and he sat. He meant what he said and he said what he meant because an elephant is faithful. 100%. That's a great story. I love that story. Good old Horton. This big, goofy elephant through the wind and the rain and the cold and the sick and the storm. But when he said he'd sit on it, he sat. Not every day was a good day. Not every day was fun. He got made fun of. But eventually, eventually paid off. I want to encourage you, church faithfulness pays off. Story of Ruth, story of Horton, story of you and me. There's a guarantee you have this hope as an anchor of the soul. Because God is good and God is in control. Faithfulness will be rewarded. You know what? That's the point of Easter, by the way. We look at the resurrection and we We oftentimes think it's just for our salvation and forgiveness of sins, but really what the resurrection is in a lot of ways, it's for Christ. It's for Jesus. It's for him to prove that he was who he says he was. That Everyone else says he's guilty. God the Father raises him up and says, no, he's clean. Everyone else says he's a loser, and God the Father raises him up and said, no, he's victorious. And God, everyone else says, look how broken he is. Look how messed up we made him. And God the Father raises him up and says, no, he's perfect. Everyone else says, no, we're going to make him bow at our feet. And God the Father raises him up and says, no, you will bow at his feet. The resurrection is a vindication of the righteous. It is when wrongs are made right, evil is banished, and all that is good is all that is left. And that's what we have to look forward to as well. Christ is the first, we're the second. And so just like Jesus, we can say, God is good, God is in control, and even if we don't see it in this life, even if everything is taken from us, if we gain Christ, we gain way more than we ever lost. And that's a good decision. Faithfulness is worth it. Father, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for Jesus, our perfect Messiah and the perfect spotless Lamb of God. Thank you for his resurrection and his victory, his vindication. Lord, we look forward to ours. Please help us to be faithful and follow him all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.